I'm just, well, if you join me in Bible study tonight, open up to Romans chapter 5 as we finish up the section on justification. We are saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. We're up to verse 11, which says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, whom we have now received the reconciliation. And we just discussed what reconciliation. And we said reconciliation between God and man and reconciliation between Jewish believer and Gentile believer. And that the Strong's word is Greek number 2643. And now we're turning to Romans chapter 11 to read about the reconciliation. Romans 11.15. Romans 11.15. It uses the same word reconciliation. Although they don't translate it that way here. It says, for if there, that is the children of Israel who did not have faith, if they're being cast away, is the reconciling of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So instead of reconciliation, they use reconciling, another form of the word. It let's us know that the reconciling of the world here is healing that rift between God and man. We started back at the Garden of Eden when Eve was deceived by Satan, but Adam wasn't deceived. You notice that? It says Adam knew what he was doing. So why did he eat from the tree that God forbid if he wasn't deceived? He was willfully sinning. He thought it was more important to listen to his wife than to God. So Israel lost their position in the cultivated olive tree here in part, not in whole, but in part because of a lack of faith. It's exactly what Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 was trying to tell us about they failed to enter into God's promised rest because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. Let's go also to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. Now all things are of God. What's that mean? God created everything. He made everything, sure. Who has reconciled us to himself through Yeshua the Messiah... And has given us, that is the apostles, the believers, the ministry of reconciliation. So what does that mean, the ministry of reconciliation? How do we help repair the rift between God and fallen man? We preach the gospel, we teach people what sin is, because if they don't know what sin is, how do they know what to avoid? So what was one of Satan's biggest ploys? To say that God has gotten rid of his laws, there's no rules, there's no requirements. You can go walk in sin. Is that not what he told Eve in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? That's not going to happen. You can't trust God. 
our ministry of reconciliation is to persuade the world that God is true to his word. Even a part where he said, the unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire to burn forever and ever. Verse 19 says, that is that God was in Messiah, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean, the word of reconciliation? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It is. So let's go back to Romans 6. We're up to verse 12. Which be, what's that? Romans 5, not 6. Okay. Sure, we'll stay in 5 for a while. <laughs> you know where I want to get to, don't you? Okay. But verse 12 says of Romans 5, Therefore, I'm glad we didn't start with verse 12 tonight. Because what do you have to do when you hit therefore? Back up. Back up. Because... We now have received that ministry of reconciliation. The ability to heal the rift between fallen man and a righteous God. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. I wonder who that man was. Adam. And death through sin. What does that do to the theory of evolution right there? Shoots it in the foot. If evolution is true then death existed before the first man was ever evolved into being. But death entered because of sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Let's go back to Genesis 3 to see that event in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3. The fruit of the tree did not cause the fall of mankind. The disobedience to God caused the fall of mankind. So start in verse 1 of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So did God make the serpent? God made all creatures. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say that they could eat from every tree of the garden? Yes, he did in Genesis 1. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. If you don't know that, let's go back to Genesis 1. He told them they could eat from every tree in the garden. Let's see. What's that? 29. Mm, right where my finger is. Genesis 1, 29. God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Why then is God upset when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because later he said, there's an exception to the rule. So, does Eve know this? Yes, because in verse 2, whoops, let me mute somebody. In verse 2 it says, And a woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but 
of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So you can eat of all the trees is the general rule. And then there's the exception. Keep a finger here and go to Genesis 9. Satan did what I hear so very many people say to me. In Genesis 9, Noah and his family come off the ark. In verse 3 it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as the green herb. So people say, didn't God say we can eat all animals? Just, it says, even as or just as the green herbs. And that was how you can eat them all except. And it's same with the meat from the different kind of animals. You can eat from all of them except the ones God forbid. So people do the same thing Satan did. Didn't God say you can eat from them all? Yes, but then there was the exception. So, because there were only two of them. Yeah, Genesis three. What happened to the dinosaurs? Verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die." Here's where he contradicts God directly. Now he says, God lied to you. You can't trust God. He's like a politician. Well, maybe he didn't say that, but okay. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's actually, if you look at the Hebrew, it's just good and bad. Tovarah. So when a woman saw that the tree was good for food... That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of his fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Who's walking in the garden? Says the Lord God. God in heaven is a spirit. This is our Messiah Yeshua, being referred to here as the Lord God. Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? Is that because God didn't know? No, God knew. Then what's it for? To give him a chance to admit what he's done, fess up. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Her fault. Is that the right answer to God? Not my fault. Somebody else told me to. How often did that work with your parents when you were a kid? But everybody else is doing it. No. And Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. How did the serpent deceive her? He told her that God was a liar and not to be trusted. And she believed it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle, 
more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, which means they didn't crawl on their bellies before, did they, Doc? They obviously walked upright. They may have also gotten a lot smaller than they used to be. But anyway, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Notice her seed is Messiah. Who's your seed then? That's the Antichrist, the false Messiah, you bet. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Boy, that's not a very popular verse today. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the words of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. Prior to this, was it hard to farm? No, it was easy. After this, now it's hard. In toil you shall eat of it. What does toil mean? Going to be hard work, yeah. All the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. That's where death enters. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. All right. Let's go also to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 is all about resurrection and how resurrection was made possible. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 21 and 22. For since by man came death, we just read about it. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. That's through Messiah's resurrection. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah all shall be made alive. All shall be made alive. Does that mean even the wicked, idolatrous, immoral people? Yep, they'll be raised from the dead to stand the great white throne judgment and then to be cast in the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. If that sounds like fun, see me afterwards. It's not. Back to Romans chapter 5. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So whenever you hear a theologian say that when Messiah was crucified, buried, and resurrected, the law was abolished. What they don't realize they're saying is there hasn't been sin since. Therefore, there's no need for a Messiah and a Savior and a Redeemer. And they're just flat wrong. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. And you know what note the authors put in my Bible here? Not me, the authors. 1 John 3, 4. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. That's what this verse means. Sin is the breaking of God's commandments. So if, com if his commandments do not exist anymore, if they don't apply anymore, 
then God would not impute sin to us. Well, let's start back with Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. Is it even theoretically possible that the law was abolished when Messiah was crucified, buried, and resurrected? The answer is no. Not even theoretically possible. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 5. Blessed is he who transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So Psalm 32 essentially sets forth the gospel message. We are sinners. Messiah came to die in our place that we might live. But we must acknowledge our sin, confess it, repent of it, turn away from it, and God will forgive it. Go up to 1 John. First John. Verse three, I'm sorry, chapter three, but we want to read more than just verse four. We want to start in verse one. Which follows chapter 2, verse 29, which says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What characterizes all those who are saved? Righteous. Righteousness. Behold. We know what behold means. It's, it's leading us into a section of scripture that is too important to overlook. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Do you know what an honor that is? What a privilege. It says, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not been revealed what we shall be. We know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, what is this hope? Hope of life eternal, hope of seeing Messiah face to face one day, redeemed, cleansed of our sin. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Which means what? If you want to be a child of God, you're not walking in sin. You're going to want to purify yourself just as he is pure. How pure is Messiah? Sinless, tamim, spotless, blameless. I wonder if that word pure is related back to uh, Tame. I bet it is. <coughs> what did he say? He wonders if that word is related back to Tame and Tahor. And I said, I bet it is that pure is related to Tahor. It sounds like Tahor is the bad one, but Tahor is the good one. Verse 4 Whoever, 
That word means anybody, Jew or Gentile. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's what it is. That's its definition, is breaking the commandments of God. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And verse 5 relates to verse 3 to say, if you are a child of God, why do you want to sin? Is it such a burden? I wanted to eat a pig today and I couldn't, darn it. I didn't want to eat a pig today, did you? No. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin because they choose not to. Abiding in him, that's what John chapter 15 is all about. Not 1 John, but John chapter 15. About he is the true vine and we're the branches. If we want to bear fruit, we have to abide in him. So verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Meaning if you can walk in sin and it doesn't bother you, you're not saved. Whether you think you are, whether you think you're not. And verse 7 says, and they're going to try and mislead you. So it says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For a seed remains and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. I get a lot of emails about, I commit the same sins day after day after day. Do you think God believes that I truly repented? To which I generally say, sounds like you don't think that you repented. If you know that breaking God's commandments is sin and it cost Messiah his very life, why would you want to walk in it any longer? I wonder if that's a one. Is there a first John chapter eight? No. Nor is there a second John chapter eight, so it must be plain old John. That's probably a comma. So John eight, verse thirty-four. Yep, John eight thirty four. Just plain old John. <coughs> Yeshua answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Remember that when we get to chapter 6 of Romans, because Paul's going to talk about that a lot. And you're going to wonder, where did Paul get that idea? Well, it's right here. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. You can hear now, 1 John, those words about how we have such a privilege to be called a child of God. How could we then want even to walk in sin? It says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 
So back to Romans chapter 5, verse 13. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. What Paul's talking about is when he was a, a little child, he did not know what the law was. He had to get up to an age of understanding to know what it was. Wayne. Yes. But even in chapter 3 or so of Genesis, Cain and Abel, God said sin lies at the door. Yeah. And sin is the transgression of the law. Right. So God had already explained to Adam, Eve, Cain. In the garden, Adam, yeah. What he expected, and that is law. You're, you're exactly right. For those in the back, all the way back in the early chapters of Genesis, chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, God said, sin lies at the door. Sin is a violation of God's commandments. God's commands have existed from the beginning. So Linda's question, was there ever a time when there wasn't law? The answer to that is no. But there was a time that we were not mature enough to understand the law. And that's why Paul's going to say, when I was a child, I was ignorant. But then when I grew, then I learned, and I'm a sinner. But the point that Paul is looking at is there are false teachers in the world. They were called at the time Nicolaitans. What was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Antinomianism. That when Messiah was crucified, buried, and resurrected, the law went away. That's still a very common teaching today. And the preachers that are preaching it don't understand the significance of what they're saying. If there is no sin, then there is no need for salvation. And what do we read in Romans chapter 3? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah, okay. Verse 14 says, nevertheless, which means we're not done with this topic yet. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And that's Linda's point, and that's Doc's point, is that the law has been from the beginning. How can we know that for sure? Genesis 1.14, what was one of the purposes, sun, moon, and stars? So we could determine the appointed times. The appointed times were so that we would know when to expect the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah, and then his second coming to establish the kingdom. His death was for sin. So nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. The likeness of the transgression of Adam. God spoke to him face to face and said, don't do that. I don't know about you, but God's never met me face to face to say, don't do that. But he did give me a book that says, don't do that. And expects me to follow it. So death has reigned over every person because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. Oh, oh, Doc makes me go back to Genesis 4. Let's go back to Genesis 4. Verse 13. Um, Genesis 4, verse 13. Let me just double check the Hebrew. 
I'm sure it's right. Yeah. See verse 13, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. That's not what it says. What's that? It's avon. My sin is greater than I can bear. My lawlessness is greater than I can bear. Avon means lawlessness. So it goes right back to the doc's point that Adam and Eve were instructed in the Torah in the garden. When God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, I know most people figure, well, he was talking about the weather and the sports. Who was going to win the Super Bowl that year? No. He was doing what Deuteronomy 6 says. Go to Deuteronomy 6. That's exactly what it means. The word is not just an occurrence of sin. It's a lifestyle, a lawless lifestyle. You're right. Deuteronomy 6. What's Karen's favorite song of ours? The Ve'ahavta. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. That's what the Lord was doing in the garden. And that's how Cain knew what to bring as a sacrifice, that it was a lamb. What had God covered Adam and Eve with? Lettuce? Cabbage? No. The lamb. Okay, I'm sorry. I digress. Romans 5.14. For comment on this, let's go back to Genesis 5.5. Genesis 5.5. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I should have done that. So let me give you a hint. The next five or six verses comes out of Genesis. Chapter 5, verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he what? Died. Did death come into the world? Death came into the world. I'm sorry? Genesis 5, 5? No, I know that. And I started to ask the question, and I realized I didn't need to. Was Adam the first person that died? Yes. Abel died before. Well, the first person who died of natural causes. I didn't even know that. It's the first one that they tell us how old he was when he died. But yes, Abel was already in the ground. But the point is, yes, death entered into mankind. And the scripture said that on the day that he ate of it, he would surely die. But he lived 930 years. But what is the day is to the Lord? A thousand years. That's why he couldn't live to be a thousand and one. And then same chapter, verse 8. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. Verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died.
Verse 14, all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Romans 3.23. Wayne, what was your point? That yes, death did enter into because of the sin of Adam. Entered into the world. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means I've sinned. But you guys probably guessed that already, huh? And you've each sinned. And the wages of sin is death. So what does God owe us? Just death. So why did he choose to send his only begotten son, who was sinless and perfect, to die in our place? Because he loved us. He demonstrated his love through his actions. Back to Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift, what free gift? Wages in his death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Messiah Yeshua. That free gift. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, how much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Yeshua, the Messiah, abounded to many. Okay. How is the free gift not like the offense? One brought life, one brought death. One brought life, one brought death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was waiting to see if there was any other, but no, that's it. That's exactly it. All men die because of the sin of Adam. All will be resurrected and made alive through the resurrection of Messiah. But there's two resurrections. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Anyway, yep. In that verse 15, the word offense. I have a note here that says that that means willful disregard of God's law. That word offense in that verse means a willful disregard of God's law. We're talking about Adam. Willfully disregarded. He was not deceived. The scripture is very clear. He just said, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And he willfully disregarded Torah. From the beginning. Yes, it's a, a total disregard. An intentional disregarding. And we are a self from our mother and father, up the chain, up the chain, up the chain. We were there in the Garden of Eden. We ate from the tree. Was it good? <laughs> I still think it was a fig and not an apple, but however. Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, what time? Time of the tribulation period in the day of the Lord. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone is found written in the book. What book? The book of life. Exactly. So when does this take place? In the day of the Lord. 
Verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, that's the first resurrection. Some to shame and everlasting contempt, that's the second resurrection for the great white throne judgment. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Would you like to shine like the stars forever and ever? Turn many to righteousness. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Hmm. Back to Romans chapter 5. We're almost done with it. But verse 16 continues. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. That was Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Separation from God. Oh my. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So summarize verse 16. Justification comes by faith in the completed work of our Messiah Yeshua. Like I said, the first five chapters are about justification. We're coming to the end. He's trying to get us to open our eyes and realize that trying to earn our salvation, that's useless. Salvation comes by faith. We need to go to Matthew 25. Hmm, Matthew 25. There's a story about ten virgins, and there's a story about the sheep and gate judgment. Sheep and goat. But th- which gate do they go through? I thought you were just saying goat, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. What the- I just don't like talking about the goats. I'm going to talk about the sheep. Matthew, Matthew 25, 25. Verses 45 and 46. We were talking about two resurrections, one to life, one to death. That's what this topic is too. It's the end of the sheep and goat judgment. Through which gate will they go? The narrow gate or the wide gate of Matthew chapter 5? Verse 45, Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So if the righteous are going into eternal life, who's going into everlasting punishment? The wicked, the unrighteous, the lawless. I'm thinking this is going to be 1 John 3. We looked at 1 John 3 a few minutes ago, but at earlier verses, verses 1 through 9. We're picking up now in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. 
who does not love his brother, meaning one who's a fellow believer, whether Jew or non-Jew, abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now this topic came up a little bit last week. Um, when you see the beggar on the corner, should you reach out and help them or not? Notice all these scriptures about feeding, clothing, and housing are about your brothers, your fellow believers. And that's something that we didn't mention last week, but maybe should have. Go back to John 10. John 10. He also gives the illustration of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. I don't remember anything about him being a brother or anything like that. He was a neighbor. It was a neighbor. The word neighbor and friend in Hebrew is the same word. So, yeah, there's something well, to be said brother, about it. I think believer, and so maybe I'm not thinking right on that. What about family? It says a man who won't take care of his family is worse than a infidel. Yeah. Okay. John 10. That's a big no-no to ignore the needs of your family. 27. John 10, 27. <laughs> My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We just looked at the dividing of the sheep and the goats. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. And what does it mean to hear? Does it mean just to have things bounce off the tympanic membrane? No. Shema. The word for obey in scripture is shema bakol. Shema Bakol. Goats don't follow anything. <laughs> yeah. So Shema Bakoli, hear my voice, means to obey me. And I know them, and they follow me. We follow the same path. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. But notice they are obedient. They know the shepherd, and they follow the shepherd. Quite a bit difference than repeating after me. Yeah, it's quite a bit different from just repeating after me. You're right. John 17, 3, because it mentioned they know me. John 17, 3 has more to say about knowing the Lord. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Yeshua the Messiah whom you have sent. I won't go to 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 to 6 because you know them by heart by now. So we'll go to 1 John 5 instead.
1 John 5. Verses 9 to 13. Which talks about knowing. Not snowing, but knowing. 1 John 5, verses 9 to 13. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Notice continue to is in italics. That's because the word believe is a continuing verb. It's a continuing verb. That's correct. So it's not did we once believe. It's that we believe now. We now and continue to believe. We hold on to our faith. Excellent. Romans 5. We're up to verse 17. For if by one man's offense. Death reigned through the one. How many sins did Adam have to commit before death entered the world? One. Just one. But Wayne, God doesn't care what we eat. Go back and read Genesis 3 again. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Yeshua the Messiah. That word reign, that you and I will reign, what does that word mean? What's that? Rule. It means to reign as a king, as a monarch. Right? Turn to Revelation 1.6. Revelation 1.6. Which means we will not be sitting on clouds playing harps throughout eternity, flapping our little wings in the breeze. Revelation 1.6. <laughs> I should practice a little. Okay. <laughs> Revelation 1 6 And has made his kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So he really does mean reign in verse 17, as in reign as a monarch, as in one of authority. And of course, a, a king rules over an area of land, and a priest leads people to God. Back to Romans 5, we're almost through it. Verse 18, therefore, oh, there's a therefore. As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. That is, death leading to the lake of fire. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, 
resulting in justification of life. The most important thing, I think, to grab from that verse is that the offer of life eternal came to all people. Jew and Gentile, man and woman, black and white makes no difference. Then why aren't all saved? Choice. It's a choice. And that's another way that the act of Adam differs from the act of Messiah. When Adam sinned, we inherited the sin nature, we inherited the condemnation. We didn't get to choose. Do I want to be a sinner and be destined for the lake of fire? I didn't get a choice. I do get a choice whether I receive the salvation that comes through Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. So why doesn't everybody say, absolutely, I want to take that free gift of life? They don't believe. They don't believe. They don't believe. And the scripture tells us because they prefer sin over repentance. Christians who has believed our report, people just don't believe. They don't want to. Yep, he said, who has believed our report? That's from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. So it's not a new concept. But the scripture says people prefer darkness over light. They prefer their sins. And it's because, like Doc number 1 said, they simply don't believe. Because you could never choose sin in a 60, 70, 80, even 100 year lifetime compared to burning for an eternity in the lake of fire and think that was a good choice. Right, there's just so much deception out there. You know, it's just, hell, it just isn't preached. Right. Much. You know, I was even rebuked when I was very early in my ministry. I was told, you cannot talk about sin and hell because it scares people. Uh, yeah. It should. It's supposed to. Yeah, why do you think it's in there? Actually, it should just inform them and... Uh, it's not necessary to be afraid to know that hell is real. That's true. Let's go on, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, what's moreover mean? In addition, In addition there's more. The law entered that the offense might abound. So God gave us the commandments to make us sin. No. He gave us the commandments. What's that? To stick out like a sore thumb. To stick out like a sore thumb so we know what sin is. The Torah is not what a lot of people tend to think it is. It's not a bunch of criminal statutes. It's instruction in righteousness. The word Torah means instruction. It's instruction in righteousness. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? It's for what? It's for instruction in righteousness. So we don't need to turn there. We already know that. It's just like children. If you don't know boundaries, you're kind of lost. Children like to know their boundaries. Yeah, children like to know their boundaries. Let me give you a dream that I have a lot. Ever dream that you signed up for a college course? Yes. Forgot to go to class, and now it's time for the final exam. Yes. 
You don't know where it is, what it's on. You didn't get the book. But you can't pass without it. Yeah. But God didn't want us to have to face that. When we come to Judgment Day, we will know what we're being judged upon. He gave us the book. He gave us the answers. He gave us what we will be judged by. And then it's up to us to decide whether to read the book and apply it or to ignore it and just take our chances come finals. Isn't it just like going to take a driving exam and you haven't even read the book because you didn't care to? Yeah. They give you the book with all the rules and all the driving, but if you just decide, I'm smart enough, I don't need that, how are you going to do? Yeah, probably not so well. After we stop recording, I'll tell you some more true stories. But, however, back to the scripture. Verse 20. Moreover, the law abounded that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that, as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Yeshua Messiah, our Lord. Grace might reign through what? Righteousness to eternal life. What is the road to eternal life? Grace saved by faith, which causes us to walk in righteousness, which leads us to eternal life. Let me read you something from the Liberty Bible Commentary, Volume 2, which is the New Testament, page 365. Quote, the law is, quote, the necessary yardstick of God's holiness, which served to bring into sharp relief the guilt of man in revolt against God, showing him the hopelessness of attempting to earn salvation by good works. End quote. Citation omitted. The next phrase is, the law came not to make man a sinner, but to show him how great a sinner he is. And I thought that was very insightful. But the law is not, as David says, it's not burdensome. It is right? not burdensome. You read through the law, there's nothing there that your own dad wouldn't have wanted you to do. You are absolutely correct. The law is not burdensome. Turn to First John 5. David said it. It's also in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. But now we have finished Paul's dissertation on justification. Now he's going to turn his attention to sanctification. He anticipates the question of, okay, Paul, if we're saved by faith, not by works, then why should we keep God's commandments at all? If it's by God's grace that we're saved, then the more we sin, the more grace God provides, right? I want, you, I want to read another section from the Bible commentary there. It says, having established in chapter 3, verse 21, to chapter 5, verse 21, 
that justification is provided by faith alone, Paul now turns his attention to the provision for sanctification. And that's chapter 6, verse 1, to chapter 7, verse 25. In the preceding chapter, he has drawn some conclusions concerning the contrast between Adam and Messiah. In chapter 6 and 7, however, the contrast is between justification and sanctification. Notice that word contrast. They're exactly right here. There is noticeable smoothness in the transition between the discussion of justification in chapter 5 and that of sanctification in chapter 6. Although there is a sharp contrast between the two, Nevertheless, the intimacy of the relationship between justification and sanctification is clearly seen in the way they're connected in these chapters. Basically, the contrast between the two is this. Justification deals with the penalty for sin. Sanctification deals with the power of sin. As we've seen in chapter 5, verse 1, justification is a declarative act of God. As will be seen in chapter 6, sanctification is a progressive act of God. Both works of God deal with the sinner, justification with the unsaved sinner, sanctification with the saved sinner. The end result of justification is salvation. The end result of sanctification is obedience. Although distinctly different, justification and sanctification are two aspects of one work of God in saving men. I don't know if that student ever graduated or not, but I thought those words were pretty insightful. So let's start looking at chapter 6. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let go, let go. Uh, Wayne. Yep. Let me insert a comment before. Go I'm ahead. Sure you're going to make it a lot lighter, but... I read that the good and loud. Okay, I read that the rabbinic method that Paul would have studied under, and he was a rabbi, would have been to take a straw man. He's trying to explain something to Gentiles, and he's 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 a Jew. Yeah. And he, the Torah is his heart. It's everything he knows. He doesn't know anything else. And so he sets up a straw thing. What shall we continue in sin? But then as a rabbi, he comes to a judgment, and he says, God forbid, which is a way they would end an argument, and then they would render their judgment. No, that would not be what we do. We do this. Mm -hmm. so he's teaching these Romans, he's teaching them from a rabbinic perspective yep. of how they're expected to come into the faith. It's, it's like Paul is not a Gentile trying to teach other Gentiles how to get away from the Torah. You're correct. Absolutely right. Remember, this is a letter. Paul's not there. He's never been to Rome. So he has to anticipate their questions and objections. And like you say, he sets up a straw man. Yep. I'll raise up the question and I'll knock it down. And that's what he's doing. You're right. So chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? So he anticipates the question, if we're not saved by keeping commandments, why keep them? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Does he know what sin is? He absolutely does.
Let's go back to Matthew 121. Matthew 1, verse 21. I do the same thing in setting up straw men, hoping you guys will ask the questions, but when you don't, then I throw them out. Yeah, Matthew 1, 21. And you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, which means salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. So sin is not just a New Testament concept. It's not just an Old Testament concept. It's been from the Garden of Eden forward. God said, do it, and we didn't. Or God said, don't do it, and we did. That is sin. Go to Matthew 3.26. Wait a minute. There aren't 26 verses in Matthew 3, so what did I do wrong? I wonder if it's by chance 13. Let me look. Nope, so we'll go on to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 28. Messiah's own words, why he's about to die. What does that third cup of the Passover Seder represent? For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What is that word new? Kainos. What does kainos mean? Renewed. Aha. Uh -huh. So we're talking about the renewed covenant of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. A covenant doesn't come into effect until the blood has been shed. And he says, my blood is the blood that brings this covenant in its renewed form into effect. Acts 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. How do we deal with sin? Messiah's blood is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant is the law is written upon our hearts and minds. The Torah is. And when Paul has, Peter has persuaded the assembled group that they are in sin, and they say, what shall we do? Peter said to them, what? Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is there salvation without repentance? There is not. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. Acts 3.19. Repent therefore. And be. Yeah not converted. But be turned back to God. That your sins may be blotted out. So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
and that he may send Yeshua the Messiah who was preached to you before. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. You do see a lot of people say online. Repentance is not necessary for salvation. You see that a lot online, but not in the Bible. Yep, the message from the Lord through the prophets was always turn, repent, come back. How can you be saved and continue in your sin? The Bible says you can't. So what is it then that's saying that you don't need to repent? That's doctrine. If the doctrine is not based on the Bible, what's it based on? Man-made commandments. Got to be man-made commands, man-made doctrine. Go through this course, and after that you get your certificate, and you're now officially a member, and you're born again. Acts 10.43. To him, that's our Messiah Yeshua, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Acts 11, 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. She is exactly correct. Whoever believes. Problem is we don't. We've lost the meaning of the Hebrew words. And we look at these words as if they're English words. Get the dictionary. Get the dictionary. What is love? Love's an emotion. Oh, kissy, kissy, hug, hug. That's not what the word love is in the Bible. It's how we treat people, our actions toward. That's why it says God manifested his love through the sending of his only begotten son. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I know we haven't gotten to Paul's answer yet, but we got to build a foundation first. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Referring to our Messiah Yeshua, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory, that is the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Purged our sins. Did he purge them just so we could return to them? Like the sow returning to the pig pen? Like the dog returning to the vomit? No, those are illustrations Messiah used to say, don't do that. Once you've been set free, washed clean, go in what? Sin no more. 1 John 1.9 1 If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that mean we can confess them and continue in them? No, no it does not. But the error that's being propagated today. But the error that's being propagated today is that when Yeshua died. So when Yeshua died, purged all of our sins. And purged all of our sins. They were still. We weren't born. They were all future. Correct. Therefore, they're all purged. You don't have to worry about it. Correct. And that is a. That's a doctrinal error. Right. It's a total misunderstanding of what Yeshua came to do. Right. That's doctrine. That's not Bible. Yeah. Yep. You are correct. In 1 John 3, verses 4 to 9, we have already read. So we'll just remind ourselves, sin is bad. Okay, go back to Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does Ezekiel say about that, by the way, in Ezekiel 18? Let's go back to Ezekiel. He says a lot about it. That's true. And you know, that's exactly the section we're about to go look at. You knew it was, didn't you? Yeah. Ezekiel 18, because he's exactly right. For those who didn't hear him, let's read it. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 23 to 32. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? So God doesn't want any of us to die. If you go into the lake of fire, it's going to hurt his heart. He said, but when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, that word iniquity means lawlessness. And does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? God says, do I overlook it? Does he go into eternal life? He says, all the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. Is that talking about just physical death? No. Yet you say the way of the Lord's not fair. Whine, whine. You mean we have to do right? Here now, a house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, when he does what? What is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Does that mean we're saved by works? No, it means the turning is because of faith. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not fair. The house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent. And what's that word, repent? Shuvah. 
Shuvu, that's a command form. That's not a suggestion. Repent in turn. That's a he feel verb. What's a he feel verb? You cause yourself to turn. It's a choice. It's a decision. Turn from all your transgressions. How about nine out of ten? All your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. What's that? That's the new covenant. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live! Exclamation mark. Do you notice there it says cast away the transgressions and then get yourself a new heart? So it doesn't just say get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Right. It says stop sinning and get yourself a new heart. Correct. Correct. So for those people that just say you can't, repentance is not part of salvation. There it is. And in Acts chapter 2, from the very first word, it's repent. He didn't tell him, get saved. He said, repent. Yeah. Back to Romans chapter 6. Memorize this Greek word or phrase, me genoito. Me genoito. Everybody say it. Me genoito. I mean, certainly not, God forbid, no way, Jose, or however way you want to express it. And Paul's going to use it over and over and over again. That's why I figure you may as well know it. Me genoito. Certainly not. It is as strong a statement as he can make because there are no curse words in biblical Hebrew. Can't cuss. Have to borrow those from other languages. Me genoito. Absolutely not. Well, if sin is the transgression of the Torah, and Paul says we absolutely cannot continue to break God's commandments after we get saved, how then do people say Paul told us to stop keeping the commandments and to walk in sin? They're misinterpreting his word like Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 said, you can do it, and it will lead you to the lake of fire. Mm. Wow. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? When you were baptized into Messiah, you were baptized into his death. It's as if you died and you're raised a new person. All clean, fresh, refreshed, clean slate. Paul says, how can you then go back to a life of sin? You just can't do it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. On the podcast site, people have the opportunities to do a like or a dislike. I get a lot of dislikes. They don't want to hear it. No. 2 Peter 2, verses 24 and 25. I guess Yeshua got a lot of dislikes too. Ah, he did. Because all flesh is as grass. As means like. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. I know, I was on chapter 1. I was just waiting for people to get there. No, I wasn't. I can't read. Who bore, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what we need to know. That we, having died to sins, that same phrase, died to sins, might live for righteousness. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. How are we supposed to live after we get saved? In righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray. That's Isaiah 53. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter and Paul use pretty much the same words to say the same thing. You died to sin. You cannot now live in it. If you do, according to 1 John 3 that we read, you've got to ask yourself if you were ever really saved at all. Uh, comment. Comment, go ahead. I've always taken that verse 24, by whose stripes you were healed, out of context, as if healing, brother, pray for you, you're going to be ah. healed. <laughs> it just dawned on me. It possibly means it was by his stripes that our sin nature was healed and now we have redemption through yeah. his blood yeah no longer must we die eternally yeah because he shed his blood so for it us not mean at all our healed. relationship is healed yeah. yeah i agree with you so back to romans chapter six and i really do mean six this time verse three or do you not know what does Paul mean when he says that? He called him stupid again. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? He's talking to Gentiles. Not just Gentiles. He's talking to both Jew and Gentile. Remember he started out in chapter 1 saying, you who teach them, you know, you're doing the stuff yourself. Well, he always has to go through a synagogue. You, you he always have, starts there. You don't have a group anywhere unless you go through the through the Jews, do you? I mean, in Scripture. No. Paul needed the Jews to reach the yeah. Gentiles. He always started there. So what verse 3 means is he died for our sins, so stop sinning. Stop it. Verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in, here's a key phrase, newness of life. That's a phrase we see a lot in the New Testament. What does Paul mean by newness of life? Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, past tense, used to, before you got saved, according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. Satan. 
The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, those who disobey God's commandments, who's working in them? Satan. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. That's another way of saying we were all guilty of sin. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Halakha is the Jewish way of saying how we walk, how we live our lives. How should we live our life now that we've been saved? We should walk in good works, in obedience, uprightly before God. Same chapter, Ephesians 2, trying to do the short version, verses 19 to 22. Now therefore you, that is you who once were a Gentile, are no longer strangers and foreigners, he said, you used to be strangers from all the covenants of promise. You used to be strangers and foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel. But fellow, now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No longer should there be a distinction in a child of God, whether he was born a Jew or a non-Jew, should make no difference. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yeshua and the Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What does it mean to be holy? Set apart unto God. So we who are believers are supposed to be holy unto God, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It says, do you want God to dwell in your heart? Then be holy. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness. What does lowliness mean? Humility. Humbleness, humility, and gentleness. No two befores. With long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Enduring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
meaning whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then down to verse 17, same chapter, Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned, Messiah. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Yeshua, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. There's where we came from, the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What were we created to live in? True righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying. What does the scripture say about all liars have their place in thee? Lake of fire. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Is this telling us to repent? This is telling us to repent. It's telling us how to repent. Yep, then you may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth for what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you without malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Messiah forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And it goes on with sin after sin after sin. Don't let it be. Go to Luke 18. Luke 18. Are we down to a few months before the trumpet blows? Ask me in October. Luke 18, verse 15. Luke 18, verse 15. Then they also brought infants to him, that is Yeshua, that he might, te- might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Yeshua called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. As surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, by no means enter into it. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Yeshua said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Where do these commandments come from? This is the Torah. 
But the reason I wanted to read that about the little children is little children have such blind faith, such an innocence. And that's what God wants us to be. Not the temper-throwing two-year-olds, but the innocence of youth before we got corrupted by the ways of the world. Back to Romans chapter 6, we're up to verse 5. For, because, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Was Messiah resurrected to sin or to walk in righteousness? So it says, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Also written by the Apostle Paul, he said, imitate me as I also imitate Messiah. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me as I also imitate Messiah. This is written to a Gentile Christian audience, believers out of the Gentile world. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says, you know that you were Gentiles. Look at verse 2. And I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. In Hebrew, that word traditions is halakha. In Greek, it's parodicis, but it means the same thing. Paul has taught them to obey the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. And that's what he means by imitate me, just as I also imitate Messiah. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him, remember John 15, all about abiding in the true vine. 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How did Messiah walk? Blameless. Tamim. Without spot or blemish. It hasn't been too long since somebody said to me, Wayne, we sin every moment of every day. My response is, stop it. <laughs> John chapter 15. Like I said, John chapter 15 is one about he is the true vine, so we must abide in him. John 15 tells us how Messiah walked. In John chapter 15, we'll begin in verse 1. I refer to it just about every Shabbat as we do our own egg. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? Prunes the vine, that's right. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out like a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Is that a veiled threat? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So how does Messiah say we abide in his love? We abide in him? By keeping his commandments. Back to Romans 6. Verse 6. Knowing this, That our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. When you are a slave of sin, you have no choice. Before you got saved walking in the world, you were going to sin. You were going to sin. It's not until one comes to the point of salvation, repents, turns to God, gets washed clean in Messiah's shed blood, filled with the Holy Spirit, that we have the power to walk in the newness of life. Let's talk about that old man. We have to go back to Ephesians 4. I know we were just there, but at least to put in your notes... Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, which says, Put off the old man, that's verse 22, that you put off concerning your, con, your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt. So that's what Paul means by the old man, the man who walks in sin. Let's look also at Colossians 3. We haven't looked at that one tonight. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Colossians 3, verses 5 to 11. The key verse is 9. We'll start in 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Notice one of those is uncleanness. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Meaning stop living like you did before you got saved. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Messiah is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, etc. And we have run out of time. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 6, verse 7.